up, guys? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Rife, and this podcast covers everything from travel, wellness, lifestyle, and lately it's a lot about manifestation and trying to live life on your own terms. So today I wanted to do a solo podcast because I really wanted to get into my move to Australia, what I'm doing here, why I came here, what it's been like and adjusting because I feel like I've done a lot of previews with the intros, like little tidbits here and there, funny words and adjusting, but I really wanted to get deeper into it so that you guys could hear from my perspective what it's been like, but also if you have questions or if you're thinking about it or it's been on your mind, maybe something from this podcast will help you. So for starters, a big update is that I moved again And that is something that when you move abroad, you will probably move more than one time to a new apartment, especially in Australia, and I'll tell you why. So I'm in Bondi Beach, and it's all expats. Like, literally everyone is an expat. I don't even think I've met one Australian. And because of that, people are always moving in and out. If you listen to the intros of my podcast, I talked a little bit about this, where People are constantly just moving in and out of apartments because either their visa is up or they want to live in a different part of Australia or they just don't want to live in that specific flat anymore. Flat versus apartment. Look, I'm using all the new words now. But that's something that is very common here. So I was living in a flat basically down the street with five other people and that really wasn't the issue. I really liked all of them. It was the space and our schedules so one girl woke up at like five in the morning actually three of them woke up at five in the morning then people would come home at different times of the night you hear everyone just getting home if you're a light sleeper like me that's so hard to deal with on top of just sharing that space even if like one person leaves their water bottle and another person leaves their keys behind and then another person puts down their plate it looks like a mess even though it wasn't messy like we all probably have left a water bottle or our keys on the table but when six people are doing that it looks messy no matter what so i was just getting like almost a little claustrophobic my own apartment just because this space was so small and i was sharing a room with someone so it literally was like being in a college dorm where you shared your room with someone else that's how it is in bondi if you want to live super cheap So I was living pretty cheaply. Um, If you've heard my other podcasts, you actually pay rent weekly here. So I was living pretty cheaply, but I was getting what I was paying for, if that makes sense. Like we're all sharing a bathroom. We're all sharing a kitchen. It's always crowded. It's hard to go to sleep. It's hard to wake up. And I was just like, "There's, there's no way I can do this. Like I used to live alone in Chicago for five years. I'm used to having my own space and I'm just older now. I realized if I was younger, like 22 or 23, that might have actually been really fun, but I'm almost 29. So it's one of those things that I was like, uh, yeah, I'm like a little grown out of the phase where I could just sleep anywhere and figure it out. I can do that when I'm actually traveling. Like, for example, if I was just stopping in Bondi Beach for three or four days, yeah, I could make that work. But to full-time live there, I was like, no, I need my own space. So went on Gumtree, which is a site here to help find new apartments, and I found a new space. So now I only live with one other girl, and this is where I think the universe and your thoughts really come into play. I have been going to this one cafe probably every other day just because I really felt the vibes. Like, it's light and airy, and there's plants, and they play good music, 
and the people are really nice. And there was just this different vibe. And I was trying to figure out like why I was so drawn to it. Like I said, the people were really nice, but I was like, what is it about them versus every other cafe? And what I realized is that this specific cafe, it's called Heart Cafe, actually trains disadvantaged youth. And so everyone that works there is really young and really just trying to make the world a better place. And I was like, ah, that's why I'm feeling like such a different pull here. Like it's just one of those unexplainable feelings. Like there's a million cafes in Bondi Beach. Why do I keep going to the same one? It's not like I'm even a big coffee drinker that I'm obsessed with a specific dish there. It was just like the vibe. And I realized it's because the owner is such a good hearted person. She's trying to help people in the community and you can feel that in the cafe. So the point of that story was I was going to this cafe like every other day. I was just drawn to it. I don't know any of the street names here yet. Like I know the main one and a few of them here and there, but not every single one in the whole neighborhood. And as I start looking at the street of this new flat, I was like, wait, I'm pretty sure this is the street that that cafe was on. And then I finally get to the inspection or like the viewing. It is literally right behind this cafe. Like I walk outside my door and take five steps and I'm at this cafe. It's right by the beach. It's a five minute walk to the beach. I only live with one other person. She's super clean. She works a corporate job. So she's gone like nine to five every day, if not longer because of the commute. And she wants to make sure that the house is always tidy. And I was like, wait, this is exactly what I wanted. Like I wanted to be close to the beach. I wanted to be by places that I knew, which was this cafe. I wanted to have a super clean roommate that was around my age so that we could just be on the same wavelength. And I just kept visualizing myself living in that space. And then this happened. I found this after like one day of looking, I came and did a viewing, which they call an an inspection. And I found the new spot. So now I live here. And this is part of the backpacker lifestyle. It's just constantly bopping around. So a lot of people would get exhausted from doing this. And it is a bit exhausting. That's why though, you really need to downsize. I cannot stress this enough. I've talked about this a billion times. I even did an Instagram post about what I packed. I came with two big luggages and then a smaller one. And I still need to downsize because it's just too much stuff. Like I don't even use half this stuff. When I was unpacking in my new place, I was like, what on earth are these watches and necklaces and chokers? Like I don't wear any of this stuff. Maybe on a on a night out. I think when I went out all the time in like college and when I first moved to Chicago, I was just constantly accessorizing, but now I'm not. Like I know I love to wear my hoop earrings. I wear probably the same two watches. I have four bracelets that I like. So why did I bring 60 of them? Like seriously, I don't know why I have all this stuff. So I definitely need to downsize and that's something I've learned from moving. And the other thing is just getting comfortable with the instability. So to speak on that a little bit, before I came to LA, I was LA to Australia. I was in LA for a week because my flight left out of there. And I figured, well, if I'm leaving out of LA, I might as well just go a week early and hang out with everyone I know. I have a lot of friends and family there and it's LA. It's fun. It's sunny. There's the beach. It's very wellness focused. So I just wanted to be out there anyway. And so I went to LA and there I was crashing on a friend's couch and then another friend's air mattress. So that's what I did for a week. Spent way too much money on Ubers. Like honestly, looking back, I wish I either went to LA less or just stayed in one area more because I was spending so much money on Ubers that that could have been like a whole flight to a new city here. But these are things you learn along the way. And then when I got to Australia, 
one of my amazing friends let me stay with her in her spare room, which was actually her boyfriend's kid's room, but they had him on and off. And so he was super nice, the kid, and actually slept in an air mattress in the living room. And I told him like, no, I'll, I'll sleep out there. It's no problem. And he was like, no, you can sleep in my room, which was so generous for a kid. Like I, if I was a kid, I would be an asshole and be like, yep, you can go out on the air mattress. This is my room. And he was so nice. He let me sleep in his room. So I did that for three weeks. And then I went to Bali. Uh, that's where I did my yoga training. So then I was in Bali for the month. And I, this was a little bit different because we were actually in a really nice villa. And so it almost started to feel like, oh, this is my home. Like out of the past six weeks, that was the place where I was staying the most consistently every day. So I really started to feel like, oh, this little villa is like my apartment. I sleep here, I shower here, I eat here, I wake up here. And I was so used to the villa that it was actually really weird leaving because again, you're there for almost a month. So it was very awkward, not awkward. It was just like, oh wait, yeah, this wasn't my house. Like I don't live here, it's time to go. So then I had to pack up that stuff. And I only brought one little suitcase there. I just brought a ton of leggings and like one set of shoes because I knew I was doing yoga all day. So then I realized even that little suitcase I barely used. So that was just interesting. It shows me like how much I tend to overpack or think that I need stuff and I really don't. So when I left Bali, I came back and then I moved into that apartment that I was just at before the one I'm in now. And I was there for probably three weeks. And then after three weeks, like I said, just living there, it was like, oh, I just cannot share this much space with this little space with this many people. And so now I'm in my new place. So if we add that all up, that is one, two, three, four, five, six. That's six places, not including the hostel that I stayed at a Bali when I stayed a weekend after. So that's seven places that I've slept or lived at since I've moved in July. Oh, no, 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 excuse me, August. I've only been here for two months, like pretty much almost two months on the dot. So in two months, I basically lived in six or seven places, which is pretty crazy. So that's something when you think about moving abroad, you need to get ready for that instability or just get ready to feel a little uncomfortable until you feel comfortable. So what I mean by that is, yeah, I could have stayed at that last apartment I was just at for six months just to have some stability, but I just felt uncomfortable. I was like, I don't want to stay here for six more months. I just don't enjoy the space. Like if I'm going to live here, I want to be able to look back at my time and be like, yeah, I really enjoyed the space where I lived. And again, this had nothing to do with the people. The people were amazing. It was just the physical space itself is not built for six people. It's probably built for two or three. So having six was just too many. So then I was like, okay, well then I have to get uncomfortable and pack all my stuff again and move until I feel comfortable. And who knows, maybe I'll feel uncomfortable here after a few months and be like, yeah, I want to move again. And that's just part of the lifestyle here. So instability is huge when moving abroad. And I am definitely on a path of trying to get a little more settled because it is getting a little annoying just picking up my stuff and moving around all the time. But if anything, again, it's teaching me to downsize. So now that I just unpacked, I'm like, okay, don't need that jacket. Don't need all this jewelry. Don't even know what these shoes are. Like it's, it's all gotta go. So it's definitely teaching me to be more minimalist. So I also wanted to talk about why I actually moved. I feel like maybe I've hinted at it or told some friends or, you know, people have asked me and I've given them a brief story, but I really wanted to get in like, why did I pick Australia? Why did I even want to move abroad? 
How did I end up here? What was my reasoning? And so I wanted to dive into that story a bit more. I would say that my love for traveling started when I studied abroad in Spain. And that sounds so trite, like, oh, of course it did. Studying abroad, like, what a what a fascinating original story. Like, everyone probably feels the same way when they studied abroad. But it really did show me, like, wow, the world is so big. I felt so sheltered when I had gone out there that I was like, I can't even believe I didn't know that this existed or this is how cultures ran or this is like how people operate. Like, you know, you hear stories and you see movies and you hear about people going, but until you're there living there, it is so different to live in someone else's culture. And I was just so fascinated by that. And I loved feeling uncomfortable. And I know that sounds really weird, but it challenged me to grow. Like I remember for instance, being in Spain, Anyone who's been to Europe, especially Spain, knows they run on their own time, especially when it comes to dinner, because it's like a celebration. So I remember being at dinner being like, holy shit, we've been here for four hours. Like, this is insane. In America, you sit, you eat, you turn the table, you leave, buy, you're done in an hour. If anything, you try to make it faster because you're usually running to something else. If it's longer than an hour, it's usually because it's like a celebration, like a birthday or graduation. But you're not sitting somewhere for four hours. And I remember being in Spain. That's where I studied abroad in Valencia. And being like, damn, we've been here for four freaking hours. But it, it flew by because we were genuinely having fun and enjoying each other's company. And that was like the Spanish way. That's because that's how they viewed dinner time. It wasn't scarf your food down so you can move on to the next thing. It was like dinner was their party. Dinner was where you bonded with people. And I remember feeling like, okay, this is really annoying to be sitting here for four hours the first few times I went out to dinner. But then I was like, wait, I, I really enjoy this lifestyle. And I like learning about other lifestyles. Like now I wonder how people in France eat or in Africa or whatever the case is. And then I just really wanted to see all the other cultures. So when it comes to traveling, it definitely started with studying abroad. So after college, I was like, you know what? I really want to live abroad because I was so inspired by my study abroad trip and it was only three months. So I was like, I would love to be somewhere for like six months to a year, but I didn't really know what to do. And that's when a lot of people started telling me about teaching English abroad. So there's a lot of different countries that want to teach English and hear from actual native English speakers. So you can teach abroad and find a job pretty easily if you have this certificate. So I started looking and Spain was still in my mind. I just loved living there, but Madrid or Barcelona is where I wanted to go. And to be honest, when I first went to Barcelona, I just really did not connect with it. It kind of felt like an American city. Everything was very Westernized. Like I don't remember feeling like, oh, this is such a beautiful Spanish city. So I wanted to be somewhere that was like more Spanish, if you will, like just felt more custom Spanish, like Valencia, like everyone there was like truly not trying to speak English to you. You had to learn Spanish words and I wanted to be tested that way so I could be more um, tuned in with my Spanish skills. So I found uh, a friend that wanted to do the same thing. And so we had both been committed to teaching abroad in Madrid. And I was like talking to the lady that was helping us secure jobs over there. We were figuring out you know, what certificates we needed, what visas we needed, how much it would cost, how to find housing. Like we were pretty far along. And I remember getting to the final steps of these conversations. And all of a sudden my friend was like, 
I just got my dream job. There is no way I can turn down this opportunity. Like, I love you, but I just can't go to Spain. Like, I can't pass this up. And I was like, what? Like, wait, 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 wait. I have been, in my mind, visualizing our little apartment in Madrid and all the people we're going to meet and, and what we're going to do and, like, what trips I'm going to go on. Like, in my mind, I was going to Spain. So to hear this at like basically the 11th hour when we're like signing final papers, basically, I was just like, dang, I don't want to go alone either. I was still young. I was only like 20, yeah, 22. And so when I thought about going abroad, it was different when you're studying abroad because you're obviously with all these people that are your age from your college that speak English. You're at the FSU study center. So then when I thought about teaching abroad by myself with no one there, in a more Spanish city where I didn't know anyone, I was like, ah, I don't want to do that. So then that's when I just like took a break from this whole tr like living abroad idea and just figured, okay, I'll look back into it later. So since I was 22 or even 21 when I studied abroad, there's always been that itch to live abroad. It was just figuring out timing and when and where. So since the Spain thing didn't work out, I ended up moving to Chicago and that was kind of like random too. I think I just remember being like, okay, I'm done living in my college town. After college, I didn't have a job. So for six months, I was working like two part-time jobs in my college town. And it's very weird to work where you just went to college after you graduated, not in a corporate job. And I remember thinking like, I need to get out of here. I need to just do something totally different, not in Florida, like get out. And so I wanted to go to a city, but I remember being like, okay, well, New York, I, I've never loved it to live there. Like I love visiting and LA was just too far and expensive in my mind. And so I thought Chicago. So that's how I ended up in Chicago. So Chicago, I get a job there. I'm going to grad school. I loved my time in Chicago. Like I would not trade that for the world. I was there for almost six years. I had so much fun. I met the best people there. It was like, truly almost too good for my 20s and i'm saying that because i almost had what someone i heard recently call like astronaut syndrome where you get everything you want that you think is going to take so long to get there and then you're like wait what like this is it this is what happens and what i mean by that is like i got promoted a year within my sales job and i had never had a sales job before we were working at the coolest office in Chicago, a WeWork, like if you guys have heard or seen of WeWorks, it's just a co-sharing space where they have like happy hour every day and yoga on the rooftop and, and wine nights and rosé day, like all these like fun employee events. Like I was working in a space like that for my company in Chicago, downtown, my first apartment there, my parents helped me pay rent and it was like the nicest apartment I'll ever live in, downtown, overlooked the lake, studio, and again, you just think in your mind, like, these are things I'm going to have when I'm 30 or 35 or 40. Like, I'm not going to have a cool office space or a studio apartment in downtown Chicago or an amazing job. Like, you have to struggle to get there. And I didn't really struggle to get there. I had all that very early on, which was like a blessing and a curse because I hit it all so early that I was like, hmm, like, okay, so this is it. I have the nice apartment. I have the job. I have everything I want. So now what this, I just do this nine to five every day for the rest of my life until I get to my retirement age. And then I'm too old to like do anything else. So that thought started to like really weigh on me when I was 25 or 26, 
because at this point now I had become a manager and I had only been in my role, I think like three years, maybe four, probably three. And I had hit president's club, which is when you get a hundred percent at your sales goal uh, and you get to go on a trip. So I got to go to Maui. So again, just think when you're, when you're 21, you think you literally have to be like 30 plus to make it big. Like, I don't know where I got that idea. Maybe movies, maybe just personal experience. But in my mind, like hearing that I, if you told me when I was 25, I was going to be in Maui because of my success from my sales job, living in a beautiful apartment in downtown Chicago, working at an office space that was like the most highly sought after space with cool people at a cool company, cool culture. Like it just, again, it seemed too good to be true. So I had all that stuff and then even the money started coming in. Like I made six figures when I was 25 years old and I had only been in my job for three years. Um, I might've even hit it when I was 24 just cause it was sales and commission. And so for three years I was making six figures straight and I was like, wow, this is, this is it. Like this is what it's like to make six figures. And it really is true. Like the more money you have, the more problems you have because I, it's not like when I made more money, I was just being smart about it and not using it. I actually just started buying more expensive things and going out more and wanting more more expensive cocktails and doing more expensive wellness treatments and doing more beauty appointments because I had the money in the bank. And then I really caught myself being like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just became such a consumer because you have more money. Like, again, it's not like I had money and I was doing the same things I was doing when I didn't have money. I started doing more expensive things. So then I actually started to be really bad with my money because I would get this huge paycheck or huge commission check and like blow it. And then I was like, whoa, (laughs) I don't know what I thought that money was. It's not Monopoly money. Like I could have done a lot with that. And I just use it on new this, new that, a new couch, a new hairstyle, whatever the case is. And it really started to weigh on me because I really was visualizing my future being like, this, this is it. Like, you have the apartment, you have nice things, you're doing everything you want. If someone was like, hey, do you wanna go to Europe next week? I had the money in my bank account to book it. If someone was like, hey, do you wanna do a trip this summer to Greece? Guess what, I actually did that trip. We booked a nice Airbnb, we were in catamarans, I was like living my life. And I'm not saying this to sound unappreciative. Like I said, I freaking love my life in Chicago. I feel so blessed that I was able to do all that stuff. I just remember thinking though, it was the environment I was in that I was like, I just cannot see how I could do this for 25 more years where you, you work, 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 you make all this money, you get what, maybe like 10 to 12 vacation days out of 365. You use those on one big trip and maybe a few trips home and that's it. And I was like, this is really it. Because if you have a desk job or a corporate job, that's what your life is. Like there's no more two month vacations in summer. Like you got when you were in college and high school, you don't get spring break. Like, and of course there's people listening like, duh, that's corporate America. But it really just started to weigh on me when I was 25 and 26. And I remember thinking like, this is just not my full potential. I don't see how this is going to make me happy. I don't see how I could do this for even five more years and be happy. And I just started thinking like, am I even really loving what I'm doing or am I loving the money? And I had to be really honest with myself. Like, did I love the ego boost I was getting from hitting my quarters? Did I love the money that allowed me to do all these things? Yes, I did love all that. Like, I'm gonna be honest. 
I loved when I got praise at work. My love language is words of affirmation. I loved when I got a huge commission check and could do whatever I wanted with it because I had the money to do so. And so all these thoughts started weighing on me. And I really started to think like, what is missing here though? Like, you know what I mean? How could you be unhappy? You have an amazing apartment. You have amazing friends. You get to wake up on the weekends and literally do whatever you want. You don't have to answer to anyone. You don't, your family is not sick. You're not sick. Your friends are fine. Like there was nothing to complain about. And so this is when I started to really like think about where, where is my like alignment missing? So this is all around the time when I started going to therapy too. And she even asked me one time, she's like, are you happy? And I was like, huh? Like, I don't know that I can confidently say yes, which is weird because if you looked at my life on Instagram or just knew me, like there, there wasn't any reason for me not to be happy again. Like, yes, I dealt with boys and and work troubles and things like that. But in the grand scheme of things, like there was nothing that was going on majorly that I could point to to be like yep it's that one thing that broke me and I can't move on like nothing like that happened so I almost felt guilty for not being able to say I wasn't truly happy and I remember thinking like what is it (laughs) like you talk to your parents all the time you're close with your friends like like you're working out you're you're really like making efforts into yourself and your life so what could be it and I was like you know what it is I think because I'm not doing what I truly want to be doing as a profession and and then I started to think well okay then what what would your profession be if you could do anything and I remember actually talking about this to my therapist so she's like okay so what do you do now for work and what are some things that you do outside of work that make you happy and the thing was, I I liked my job a lot. Again, like the culture was amazing. The people were amazing. I I felt like I was good at it sometimes. You know, we all have bad quarters. But I just felt like, wait a second, I'm selling people that create content. I worked for an influencer marketing company and a content marketing company. So I'm selling people that are creating content when my whole entire life, I have been doing that. I have always been artistic. I went to a school of the arts when I was in sixth grade. And I literally remember thinking, this isn't even school. Like, this is the funnest thing I've ever been to. I remember every single class I loved. We had dance. We had, like, jewelry making. We had designing. We had computer classes. And I remember thinking, like, is this even a real establishment? Like, how am I going to school here? And I think looking back I should have paid attention to that more because I remember being the happiest when I was doing all that stuff then in high school all my favorite classes were the artistic classes then in college you have to take you know math and science and this and that so my creativity came out in my sorority when I would do all the artsy things like paint the signs for our events or painting the sidewalk or painting a wall like there were all these things that we did in greek life that were kind of crazy looking back that needed to be designed that i loved doing and then when i studied abroad no joke there was a class called sketching the city where you would go around in different parts of the city and sketch for two hours and i remember being like holy shit i love this So looking back in my life, I was always creating content and then I went to freaking grad school for a degree called digital media and storytelling. Like, how is this not more clear to me that I should be storytelling? 
So this is when I really started to realize like, okay, you feel most aligned and fulfilled when you're creating something. It doesn't have to be a tangible sculpture or a beautiful photography piece or anything like that. And that's when I think my job actually started showing me, wait, you can just have like a little platform and create all this content that you want to create. And it's your say, like you're the editorial and creative director. You're the one that gets to say, I want to do this today. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to have an outlet to create content. So I think I've alluded to this before, but I tried several things out. Uh, In college, actually, before I even had this epiphany, I tried to start a beauty Instagram. And this is before Instagram was what it was. I remember I told my friends and they're like, I'm so confused. Like you're going to show how you do your hair with a video or like, a photo that's the craziest thing I've heard of. Like, remember Instagram when it started, we all thought it was like a photo editing app or like a photo album sharing platform. So to say, oh, I want to show how I do my eyeliner or this and that, people were like, okay, don't know how that's going to go off. And of course, look now, every beauty blogger is like (laughs) making millions, living their best life, showing the coolest beauty tips. So that's a learning lesson to not listen to people. But then I started a blog in grad school And I remember loving the writing part, but I was such a perfectionist that I kept rewriting it, then editing it, then rewriting it. And then every time I rewrote it, I was like, well, wait a second, now I need new pictures. And I just took all these pictures and now none of these match what I just rewrote. Now I have to go out and take new pictures and edit them again. And like, how am I going to do all this when I was also working full time and going to grad school? So there was always this like, need to create content I could not figure it out like the beauty Instagram didn't work out the the blog it was just like too much work again I was going to school from 7 to 10 p.m and working from like 9 to 5 or 9 to 6 so during the weekdays I had no time to really be doing this extra fun project and then the weekends I was usually doing homework for school because all my projects at school were creative projects So I was actually finding a lot of happiness within my school because, again, it felt like the school of the arts that I went to in sixth grade. My classes were around editing audio, editing video, photography, writing stories, interviewing people, designing magazines. Like, it felt like a playground. And I remember thinking, that's where that whole quote around, like, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life, like, really started to make sense because I was like, this doesn't even feel, like, I can't even believe this is called grad school because it literally feels like playtime. And so then I started to think then, obviously, you like creating content again. This is a whole other, like, uh, sign from the universe. Like, every time you feel happy or aligned is when you're creating something. So I just couldn't find out what that one thing was, though, that would stick. Because again, the the blogging thing for me was like too much to write and take pictures and link out and do this. Like, I was just like, there has to be something more in line with what I want to do. So then my background was always in broadcast journalism. So I was like, okay, so maybe it's something on TV with interviewing people or like just doing my own little show on YouTube. But then I was like, I really hated editing video. I remember that was my least favorite part of grad school is I had all these ideas in my head to shoot video, but actually shooting and getting the lighting right and the audio and the time of day and the granularity and the clarity and the exposure. Like just think about when you take a picture, when you take a selfie and all the lighting that you want just to look good in a selfie. Now think of a video. 
when you're shooting other people too, like having a script, making sure you're showing their expression, making sure you're getting body language, making sure the light isn't completely washing out the shot. Like there's so much that goes into video editing that I think people have no idea how hard it is. And I have so much respect for video editors because of that. And I hated editing video though. And so then the whole idea of like YouTube for me was just like, no, I hate editing video. How am I gonna shoot videos? And on YouTube, which is all about video, if I hate doing it, like I'm going to end up just hating doing it. And of course I could have like hired a videographer, but at this point I was in grad school. Like I could barely afford my own apartment. So I wasn't going to hire someone to help me. So it's either shoot it yourself or don't do it. And I didn't want to shoot it. So I didn't do it. So at this point I'm starting to get frustrated because I'm like, here I am. I have all this creativity inside my head, all these ideas. I went to school for digital media and I just cannot figure out what it is that's going to stick that I'm going to feel like excited to do all the time. And finally, that's when podcasting came along. And I remember listening to my first podcast, which I think was Serial. And I was like, wow, this is a really cool way to tell stories because I'm listening, but I'm doing other things. Like I don't have to sit down and watch a video. I don't have to like plug in my laptop and start watching. I mean, all you need are headphones and to make sure your phone is charged and you listen to a podcast. And so the whole serial series made me realize like maybe this was it. Like you don't have to shoot video. You don't have to edit. Of course, you. I mean, you can do all those things. There's a lot of um, podcasts now that have branched to show like visuals and behind the scenes shooting, but at its very core, it's just talking into a microphone. So I was like, wait, this could be it. This is where my whole thing of like broadcast journalism and talking to people, but not really having to shoot video or doing any of that. This is where I might be able to finally find what I want to do. So I had been listening to podcasts for like two years before I really wanted to start my own. And then I really got into the idea that I wanted to start one. And I was like, okay, here's who you could interview. Here's what you're going to do. This is what it's going to be called. Let's get into it. And I got in this like black hole called what I call the vortex. You've probably heard me talk about it where I get in this like creative fever where I'm like, I have to do it right now. Like I almost feel like this fires inside of me and I have to get it out. So I like bought a recorder on Amazon. I went on Canva. I made a logo. I emailed like 10 guests at the same time. I started to think about my schedule, what I was going to do. And I just went like insane with this podcast idea. And I had no idea what I was doing as far as like the focus of it, but I knew I wanted it to be health and wellness because that's what I was, um, really into at that time, but I didn't know the angle. For example, like, was it going to be like serial where I was telling stories of the people I was interviewing, where I would have like music and, and narratives and this and that, or was it going to be just like, uh, you know, Q and a was I going to do something where I talked for 30 minutes in the beginning. And then my guest interview was 30 minutes. Like I had no idea. I just knew I wanted to start it. So then I realized just interviewing was the best thing for me because it was like, wait, I get to help tell your story by asking you what I'm genuinely curious about. And it's not forced. I felt like when I was doing the blog, I was like forcing certain things to make sure that the writing was like super punchy and cute and creative. Whereas podcasting, it's like, you really just have to say what's on your mind. Yes, you have an outline or you have questions you want to ask. But I genuinely, this probably came from my curiosity when I was younger and also my broadcast journalism background, like genuinely curious how people get to where they are. So when people are like, 
yeah, you know what? I was broke. And then the next day just was a six figure business owner. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Back up. Like you don't just go to sleep and wake up six figures in your bank account. Like what did you actually do? Who did you call? Who did you hire? How much did you spend? How did you figure out legalities? What on earth did you do creatively? Like who helps you with that? And that's when I realized like, wait, podcasting could really be my thing. So then, um, I've realized I really had uh, not only a good idea, but like a genuine passion for it. It became one of those things where I was like, I don't give a shit if I don't make a dime off this for five years because the people I talk to are so interesting. And it's the same. It kind of goes back to traveling. Like you get to talk to people from all over that don't share the same perspective as you that make you open your eyes. And so it really started to connect the dots for me that I was like, wait, podcasting really is like traveling. And you can do it from anywhere. There's all these softwares now where you can interview someone across the globe as long as you have a Wi-Fi connection and a microphone or a headphone or headphones. And so podcasting for me became the outlet that I finally was looking for creatively where I could tell stories, I could interview other people. It was something that I don't find difficult in terms of prepping for. Whereas the blog I found really difficult. Like I remember thinking, oh my God, how am I gonna plan out content that people are gonna constantly look back to? What if someone catches an error? I'm gonna have to repost the whole thing. I have to create such a specific content calendar. It has to be the same theme. Like, And it's weird because my brain operates like that for podcasting, but it like would not work that way for blogging and writing. Um, And I just remember thinking like, podcasting is something that I could prep the questions the day before and and prep them in 10 minutes because I genuinely have that many questions. And I think that's when you start to realize, okay, if it's this easy for me, if I like doing it, if it's something that I really don't care about making money on, it's just fun for me to do, maybe that is where you should focus your attention. Even if it is a side hobby, something creatively that's not what you are doing every day, every day, day in and day out. So I was doing this podcast while I still had my full-time job. This wasn't something that I was like, oh, I love podcasting and I, I think I'm good at interviewing. Let me quit my job. Like that's really bad advice. I would never tell someone to just completely quit their job and pursue their dream without having any financial backup plan, any idea of what they're doing in terms of like next steps, completely winging it which is weird because I feel like I do that a lot but I do have backup plans and so that's where this whole idea of like committing to the podcast became really major for me where I was like okay this for me isn't just like a fun little hobby anymore like I really want to make this something bigger than what it is but I need to creatively reset and focus on it and it's very hard to do that when you're nine to six at a job every day, you have clients complaining, you have something, there's always a fire. You're always doing something. There's a data report you messed up, or there's a client complaining about this content, or you have to jump on five conference calls tomorrow with different team members to figure that out. And as much as I wish I could avoid that after work, it was very hard for me to just turn that all off and then focus creatively on the podcast. And I did that for almost a year and a half, maybe even, no, 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 a year and a half, where I was doing that, where the podcast was so important to me that I did book it on the weekends or an evening where, yeah, I could have been out at happy hour or a comedy show or just sleeping, but I wanted to do the podcast. But creatively, I just started feeling stifled. And I remember specifically again in therapy, 
where she saw a difference in when I talked about the podcast versus everything else I was doing. So this, I think, was the same day when she asked me if I was happy. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you because it's like, I'm not unhappy, but I'm to me, the word happy is like, I don't feel that. And I didn't know what I felt. And so then I started talking about, you know, what I like to do. Cause she asked me, you know, what, well, what do you like to do outside of work? And I started talking about the podcast and the creativity and the ideas I had. And she was like, you know, your tone just completely changed when you started talking about that. She was like, it's almost like you lit up and you didn't even realize that you were doing it. It's not like I was like faking it. Like I was so excited to talk about it. And so she was like, I really think you need to pay attention to that. Maybe if it's, it doesn't even have to be the podcast specifically, but like, I think you should lean into that side of yourself more because you feel more aligned there. And I was like, that's what it is, alignment. And that's when it like literally was like this sign from the universe that it's like when you feel most aligned is when you're being creative and executing that creative vision. And that's when you feel happy. And I feel like this all also goes in line with like confidence. I've talked about this before and I think I got this from a quote from Instagram was like confidence is not breaking promises to yourselves and like consistently doing things over and over that you're aligned with. So then I was like, this is where I'm feeling unaligned because I'm not feeling like super aligned with what I'm doing, which makes me insecure that I'm not hitting my full potential, which then winds down to other areas of my life, like image and status and all these other things that I was like, holy shit, like this is it. When you feel aligned, you start to feel more confident in yourself and then you start to feel happier because you're committing to taking steps to do that thing that puts you in alignment. So it's like this circle of happiness and alignment and security and confidence that I felt like I was missing for so long because I had just completely put that part of myself on the back shelf. It was just a fun little hobby. It was something I did on the side. It was it was always just going to be something for me to do like as a fun project. But then it was like these fun projects became such a, a non-focus for me that they weren't even fun anymore. And then it was like, okay, just scramble and get it done, which is why... For a very long time, my podcast was posted at such different times and days and hours. Like I would post consistently for four weeks and then completely go off the deep end, not post anything, and then post again like four and a half months later, post three times in a row, post on a Monday, then a Sunday, then a Friday, then a Tuesday. Like I had no consistency because again, it wasn't on my major forefront because of my real job, quote unquote. And so then I was like, what are you doing? Like, think of all the podcasts that you listen to that you're like, wait, you listen to them because they come out on a certain day. They're consistent. They don't just disappear for four months with no explanation and then come back and post on random days. Like, you need to take this seriously. So I felt like whenever I have a really creative idea like this, I need to be alone for a long time and like really focus on what that is and get inspired again. So then the whole idea of like studying studying abroad, (laughs) living abroad came back in. So I know I just talked about podcasting and creativity for like 20 minutes, but this all ties into why I moved. So taking a step back really quick, I remember also feeling like if I moved abroad, I would be happier. So the whole time where I, the, yeah, the period where I didn't really know what my creative outlet was. I was just like, I need to move abroad. I need to live abroad. I need to get inspired. I need to see new people, which I do think is actually a really good way to get inspired. And so I was like, but I can't just like do these seven day abroad trips where you're, they're jam packed with activities and tours and bookings and reservations because 
you only have five to seven days there. So when I'm going on these Euro trips, when I was in my corporate job, it was like, uh, well, yeah, they're so freaking fun, but like, I'm not getting inspired by anything because I'm just constantly going, going, going. Like we're at a restaurant, then we're at happy hour, then we're at a rooftop, then we're walking around the city on a walking tour. Like I wasn't actually immersed in the culture is what I'm trying to say. So I remember being like, I just want to live abroad and then I'll get inspired again. And so I actually was talking to my company to move abroad with them. And we got pretty far into conversations, but, you know, as any business does, they have to think about finances and legalities and hiring and data privacy and four million other things that you couldn't even imagine. So they're like, this is a good idea, but we don't know if it's going to happen anytime in the next like one to three years. Maybe we can visit this next year and see if we can get this on like a three to five year plan. Um, You know, we really, really actually want to be a global company, but it's just, again, there's a million things we have to think of. We can't just say yes and throw you abroad, which I completely understood. I wasn't asking to make an exception and pull funds from other places just so I could live abroad. But then it hit me like, this could be a year or this could be five years and there's still a chance that this would never happen. There's a chance that they could be like, you know what, we're completely scratching that idea. We just want to focus domestically in the US or yes, it's a good idea, but we have to do it in 10 years when we finally hit XYZ goal. Whatever the case is, it's like there was just never a guarantee that I was going to be able to do that with my company. And if it was, it would probably be short term. So then I started thinking, okay, well, how can I live abroad make money, do what I want to do creatively. So then I started just looking at similar companies abroad where I was like, okay, I could just do what I'm doing in the US elsewhere. And I was looking at the UK, I was looking at Spain, I was looking at Amsterdam. I don't know why I was picking those places. I mean, I definitely think Spain because I had loved it from when I studied abroad. The UK, I think I just thought, oh, it's English speaking and I, I love British people. I love their banter. I love the culture. I love the history. And then Amsterdam, I think I had just heard a lot of people going there to start businesses and they had like a really awesome expat community. And I was just like, you know what? Maybe Amsterdam would be cool. And so I think I just started looking at those three places and I actually was getting interviews with a lot of people there, but it would always come down to, oh, well, are you a citizen here or do we need to sponsor you? And obviously I needed a sponsor because I'm American. And they were like, oh yeah, okay, well, we'll look into that. And then of course it never worked out. Like, I mean, I'm saying of course, I'm sure it's worked out for some people, but if you think about it, if someone's interviewing in the UK for the same exact position as me, even if they have a little less experience, they don't have to deal with the legal issue of of getting me a visa or getting them a visa. They would have to deal with that with me. And this is the same for like any country in Europe. And so I was like, ah, this is getting so hard because no one wants to sponsor the visa because it's just like extra work for them, which I was understanding of. Like, again, if there's thousands of people in the country and a hundred of them are applying for the same position as me, and the only difference with those 100 people is the visa, they're probably going to pick someone that's a local UK resident or a local Spanish resident, whatever the case is. So then I was like, okay, I don't know that this is going to work out with Europe for what I want to do. And at this point, I hadn't even considered like freelancing or other countries or anything. And I think I was just talking to a friend who was like, you know what, you should really look into the working holiday visa in Australia. And I was like, no. No, 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 no. Australia is so far. I literally only know you and like three other people there. Uh, The flight is so freaking long. 
I don't know anything about Australia except the Opera House and Kangaroos and like Bondi Beach and the Great Barrier Reef. Um, I literally don't know their culture. Like for me, I don't even know. It just felt like Australia was like Saturn. I was like, I'm not going there. And so she's like, I really think you love it. Like this is actually a girl I studied abroad with in my program which is funny because we obviously were on the same wavelength with like living abroad and having a little bit of an unconventional path. So it's funny that I didn't listen to her sooner, but she was always in the loop of my conversations about living abroad. So she was always pushing me like, why don't you just look into Australia, look into Australia? I was like, no, like (laughs) I just like wasn't into Australia for some reason, which is weird because it's not like you ever hear anything bad about Australia. Like if anything, it's beaches and hot guys and sunshine and and wildlife so I was like I don't know I just I feel like I'm not gonna fit in like I'm not surfer enough I'm not cool enough she's like what are you talking about like you I don't know what's happening so then I was like you know what maybe she has a point like if there's a visa that exists over there to live why wouldn't I look into it so then I started like deeply researching just working holiday visas everywhere and Australia really is one of the easiest to get The issue is you have to be between 18 and 30 years old. And I was about to turn 28 when I applied for this. So then this time clock started ticking where I was like, okay, you can either wait, 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 and keep applying to these European jobs, which is in a field that you really don't even want to work in, or you can actually look into what you want to do, which is podcasting and being more creative and live abroad elsewhere. It might not just be the place you wanted to. So then I started seriously considering Australia because of this working holiday visa and thinking about the time crunch. Like if I wanted to go, I had to go now. And then I just started listing out like pros and cons of like, okay, here's what could happen. You could get over there and not like it. Guess what? There's a flight back. You can book a flight back and come home. You can go right back to what you were doing. You could find another job. You could move to another part of the US. That to me was the worst case scenario. The other scenario was you could get over here and like it, but not have enough money to live here because it's expensive. And I was like, okay, in that instance, I would just get like two jobs and make it happen. Like I'm not the type of person who's going to live on the streets or I'll live in a hostel for a month while I figure it out and pay $5 a night. Like, yes, that would suck, but I'll, I'll make it happen. So I just started listing out every scenario and every scenario like was not that bad. And I think what really helped me was knowing that back home, there wasn't anything major holding me back. Like my parents aren't sick. My siblings are all younger than me. So it's not like any of them are having babies or getting married or getting divorced or going through like major, major life issues that would require me being right by their side. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I think I'm going to look into this. And so I looked into it and then I just started reading. I'm like, there has to be a catch though. Like there's just no way it's this easy. Like The working holiday visa, also holiday means vacation abroad. So that literally means working vacation visa. And I was like, I don't even get it. Like, what is this visa? And so then it's like, yeah, it's made so that you can work a little bit in vacation, work a little bit in vacation. And I was like, wait, this is kind of like the dream. This is always what I wanted to really do is like not be tied down to a desk and not have to answer to someone all the time and be able to hop around like, I am very impulsive. I am someone that I can easily, I'm not like someone that has roots in one place. And I mean, hence why I've lived in like seven places in the last two months. And so I was like, wait, this is sounding better and better. And the worst case scenario is that I don't like it and I just come back home. 
So then I was like, okay, I'm going to undo it. I think I'm going to do it. I talked to so many people that lived here, especially from Florida, where I'm from. And I found out that it was really easy to adjust, obviously, because it's English. But like, there are so many freaking expats here that it's also easy to make friends. Because that was my issue, too, was like, yeah, I could go over there, but everyone's in relationships and I'm not going to like know anyone. Like, how am I going to hang out with anyone? And they're like, Chelsea, it's so easy. Like, everyone is an expat. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And to give you more background on like living abroad, when I was looking at the UK, it was so hard to figure out how to find a visa. Like there are a million immigration lawyers because it's so hard to immigrate there. Like everyone that I actually talked to about living abroad there too was like, it is so hard to get a visa here. Good luck. Like, let me know if you need help. You'll probably have to hire a lawyer for $10,000. I was like, what? And with this Australian one, it was like, you literally apply online, probably takes an hour. You just need certain documents and approve certain things. And that was it. So I was like, okay, but that was like too easy. This is probably not going to get approved or I'm going to have to like add another document or something. And literally, I cannot make this up. One minute later, it said I was approved when I hit submit. I was like, okay, clearly there was a glitch or something happened. Like, I don't understand and it was like nope granted visa like whatever number you can enter any time in the next year and so i was like oh okay so i have my visa so that was really easy compared to what i was looking for in the uk where it was again like hire a lawyer for thousands of dollars and then there's not even a guarantee that you'll actually get it approved it was just to help you submit your application so i was like dang okay australia is really happening So then I got so into the idea of getting here ASAP that I was like ready to go. I was like, okay, time to go. Like ready to go, ready to go. And my mom's like, I think you need to save money. Like Sydney is one of the most, oh, by the way, I picked Sydney because I just knew the most people here. And everyone was saying like Sydney is like LA and Melbourne is like San Francisco. And I actually like LA. So I was like, you know what? Let me start in Sydney. And the best part about this visa is you can just bop all over. Like I can go anywhere in Australia. It doesn't matter. So I was like, let me start in Sydney, which is like globally known as one of the most expensive cities. So when I has, when I was going to move, when I originally got the visa, I didn't have as much money because I wasn't doing it as well at work. So I didn't have all the commission that I had when I was living in Chicago. So I was making like so much commission in Chicago one year that it was almost like common for me to just expect a commission check every month whereas obviously if you're in sales and you're doing bad and you're not getting commission your paycheck isn't as big as when you have commission so since i wasn't getting those checks i was like uh you're right like i do need to save money so that is actually a big reason why i moved back to florida was i was like wait a second if i'm living in chicago in this like nice apartment paying a shit ton of money on rent paying all this money on transportation because I had to commute to work, going on Chicago, even if you go to dinner, is like a $50 affair. I need to save money if I genuinely want to make it abroad. So I moved home and learned so much about sacrifices and eating huge slices of humble pie. And this is something I really wanted to address because this is the side, I think, of moving abroad that people hint on but they don't like really dive into it and I really want to be honest there was a lot of stuff that I didn't want to do before I moved abroad for example when I moved to Florida I had to uh think about where I was going to live and I was originally going to live at home and commute every day into my work which is an hour and 20 minutes there and back so that's almost three hours of driving 
I was ready to do that because I wanted to save money. And I think I did that for like a week or two. And I was like, this is insane. Like I cannot do this. And everything that was motivating me was like money for Australia, money for Australia. But I was just like, God, I'm going to do this, like commute almost three hours a day. This is like insane. Luckily, I had angel friends named Lexi and Kevin that had a spare room that let me stay with them rent free for a few months. And this is where I want to be completely honest because I'm not trying to act like I like struggled and lived on the streets and worked 15 jobs to make this happen. Like I had a really amazing support system and almost like two kind of friends around me that let me really like just be under their wing while I saved for this dream. And I will be forever indebted to these people that helped me because honestly, without them, I don't think I would have been able to come to Australia or I would have come and had like nothing, no money. Like I would have had to come and just immediately found a job. So I lived with my friends in Orlando rent-free for quite a long time, which as you can imagine, allowed me to save a lot of money. However, I am so impulsive with my money that because I had all this money, I was still just doing things that I didn't really need to do. Like I was getting a facial, I would get my nails done, I would go to the chiropractor, I would still go out, I would get my hair done. Like, you know, just beauty appointments that like at the very basic list of needs that I would need to survive, like those aren't on there. And it's because since I wasn't paying rent and I had that money, I was like, well, I have money and I'm still saving. But then it's just like, okay, that actually could have been an extra like $5,000 if you just didn't touch that for a year, didn't touch all those services for a year. But, you know, you live and you learn. And I don't really regret it because I still had so much time in Australia by myself where I didn't have to work. But going off more sacrifices, I also drove my parents' minivan. And I didn't really give a shit because that's what I drove when I was 16 and in high school. My parents were like, if you want a car... You need to show you're responsible with it, like that you can actually take it to get gas and clean it and that and drive it, etc. So I was already used to driving this minivan and everyone when they were 16 got like their sweet 16 car and had the whole ordeal. And I remember being like, I'm driving a minivan, but everyone thought it was really cool because I could fit more people in my car. And so I just got so used to the idea of the minivan being like cool that when my parents, when I moved home, they're like, yeah, you can drive our minivan. I was like, I don't care. But there are people that probably would care that are like more driven by status. That would have been like, I'm not driving a fucking minivan in Orlando in Winter Park, which is like one of the most um, affluent places in Florida. And I was like, I just need a thing, a vehicle to get me from A to Z. And that saved me so much money because my parents paid this car off a while ago where I didn't have to have a car payment. Uh, I actually ended up, the place that I lived with my friends was right across the street from work. So I literally walked to work. Like, I'm not even kidding. The plaza across the street. And this is like, I'm trying to think of how to word this. This is where I have, um, God, this great radio right now. I can't articulate my words. Like there is a part of manifestation and action that comes together to make these things happen, but also realizing your privilege. And I hope this makes sense. So what I mean by that is like, I was so positive about my experience in Florida that I knew things were going to work out. Like I was like, I know I'm going to have a great place to stay. I know I'll figure it out. I'm not worried. Like, again, I was willing to travel three hours daily to work because that's just what I had to do to make it happen. 
And then what do you know? My friends were like, well, wait, we have a spare room. And what do you know? It's across the street from my work. Oh, and they're not, uh, they don't make me pay rent. So there's money in my pocket. Like that is the part of like thinking positive that like things just open up for you because you start talking about it and people listen and want to help out. But it also goes to show like, yeah, I do have a family and parents that want to help me out. I do have friends that want to help me out. And so I'm not going to sit here and act like I was like breaking my back to get to Australia and act like, again, that I was working like six in the morning till 12 at a restaurant and then after work, working as a bartender and then working that like I wasn't doing that. I had my regular job. I just had an amazing support system and I was in a position of privilege where my parents were helping me out when I needed help. So yeah, I I saved a lot of money, but I also was driving a minivan. I was living with my friends. They were actually a couple and they had two cats where in the beginning, I was so driven by my ego that 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 turned me off. Like I had just come from living in my apartment in Chicago, like nice place. I had lived alone at this point for four or five years. I was making money. So I was like, yeah, I'm not living with a couple and two cats like in your dreams. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, wait, they live right across the street from work. They are your friends. They actually keep the house so clean that the cats aren't really bothersome because I'm usually allergic to to cats. And they have everything there. Like, why wouldn't you live there? So then that's when I really had to realize, like, am I going to let my ego take over and try to live in Winter Park in my own house, in my beautiful place, get new furniture, get a new car? That's all just blowing money? Or am I going to put that to the side and realize these are all just steps that I have to take to save money for Australia? So that's definitely part of moving abroad that I wanted to share is like, there's so many different ways to do it. Yeah, you could work three jobs and save money. You could live at home and save money. You could sell your car. Like there's a million things you can do. And this is the way I did it that I just realized like, wow, this wasn't like rainbows and butterflies. Like I just had to leave my pretty nice apartment in Chicago, my friends behind. I I was in the same job. Luckily, I actually, my company's headquarters were where I moved home in Florida, which is funny. But again, it's like, I feel like I was being positive about the whole process that those things opened up for me where I feel like if I had been like, yeah, not driving a minivan, ew, not like, I need a high rise downtown, ew, I'm not living with people like then I would have ended up in a situation where, yeah, I probably would have been like not saving money. I would have been in a high rise downtown, blowing my money on that, renting a new car, whatever the case is. Like I just realized I had to put all that aside. So that was a big, big part of moving abroad. That was the year at home where it was just me saving and really trying to assess what I was going to miss. So the part of being older is everyone starts getting married and having babies. And I was in a sorority. So a ton of my friends were getting engaged, were getting married, buying houses, having children. And I was like, okay, this is a lot of this is probably going to happen when I move abroad. So I was originally going to leave in December, but then I ended up staying in February because of my friend's wedding. And then I was going to leave right after that in March. But then I started doing well at work. So I was like, well, wait, I should save all these commission checks because... There's no rush in getting to Australia. Like I should have this money, but I'm, again, I'm so impulsive. Like I was ready to go. I was like, I want to go now. I want to go now. But then the logical side of me was like, okay, wait, you don't, when you get your visa, you have a year to activate it. So I was like, I had a year to save money. So why don't I just save every possible paycheck, even if they're not commission checks, just to have like extra cushion, extra cushion, be okay. 
And so that's when I was like, okay, you know what? Scratch these plans of like trying to go ASAP and just settle down and save money. And so that's when I decided, okay, you just are going to have to stay through August, which is when I had gotten my visa the year prior and work, 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 and just figure it out. And so I went to bachelorette parties. I went to as many weddings as I could. I tried to go home like every other weekend to see my family because Australia is a very long flight away. And so I wanted to make sure that when I was going to move abroad that I didn't ever feel like, oh, I missed time with my family or friends back home. So I really tried to make an effort, but at the same time, I was also really trying to focus on my podcast. So there were a lot of weekends too, where I would just go to a coffee shop and try and work on the podcast and figure out like what the hell I'm doing with this thing. And that's when the whole podcast got that facelift of like a new name, new colors, new logo, because I really started to think of it as a business and take it seriously. Whereas anyone who's been listening from the beginning knows I definitely was not taking it seriously for the first year, at least not treating it like a business. Like I was not posting consistently. I would do outreach whenever I felt like it, which is like, that's not how a business should be run. You should be constantly thinking about who's going to be next or what's the next topic. And so I really wanted to make sure that, okay, if you're going to commit and move abroad and be creative and do all these things you say you're going to do, you need to use your time back home wisely too, so that you don't get abroad and have no plan. So my whole plan for moving was to also just reset creatively and really focus on my creative like endeavors. So what else? Oh, the sacrifice thing. Like there's always always going to be something like in my mind i was like oh perfect like went to my friend's wedding i got to see my friends i went on a bachelorette party like it i'm like good like i'm not missing anything since i've been gone i've missed two of my good friends weddings i've missed someone getting engaged i'm almost positive one of my good friends is going to get pregnant um i miss like a million bachelorette parties i'm missing i'm most likely missing my sister's graduation from nursing school And I'm sure there's going to be a million more things that happen because I've only been gone for two months. And these are things that to me, I'm like, this is the sacrifice that I have to make. And this is going to sound a little selfish for a second, but no one puts off their wedding or their baby for you to do your thing. Like no one's like, oh yeah, we'll wait till you come back from Australia to have our wedding. So to me, I was like, then I need to stop putting off my plan to go to Australia for other people. So that's when I had to have like some tough conversations with people. I was supposed to be bridesmaids in some people's weddings. I was supposed to do certain things with certain people that I was like, I just can't do that anymore. Like I can't commit to that. I don't even know if I'm going to be in Australia in a year. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I'm sorry, but that's, that's like kind of where I'm at my life right now. Where I was like, I feel like for the past, what, seven years, it's been saying yes to a lot of things that I don't feel aligned with. And again, I'm not I'm not saying this like I didn't enjoy my time in Chicago, everything that I did before this. It's just saying like I kind of was just like floating by, you know, like I was living a good life, making money, healthy, happy. But I, like, was I truly happy? I don't know. And that's when I started to realize like you need to stop putting this on hold. You are going to miss something. And guess what? Like, what's the word I'm looking for here? These people aren't going to be devastated. Like, yes, I was sad that I missed my friend's weddings. I'm sure that they're sad I wasn't there. But I don't think they got there and were walking down the aisle and thinking, wow, this would have transformed my day if Chelsea was here. Because I don't think you think of that on your wedding day. You're thinking of your significant other, your new family, your new life, what it's going to be like. 
there's already a million friends and family members there. So it's like, yeah, I miss her. But it's not like people were having mental breakdowns that I wasn't at their wedding. And I had to just come to terms with that. Like, yeah, you're going to miss people's weddings. But guess what? You can see all their pictures. You can FaceTime them to talk about it. You can send them gifts. Like, just because I'm on the other side of the world doesn't mean I can't celebrate and interact. Like, that's one thing I think people forget when they move abroad is like, there's not a fence here. There's not a permanent thing that makes you stay here that you can't just fly home like yeah if I really wanted to I could have spent thousands of dollars to fly home for some of these events and come right back but to me that didn't financially make sense because I had just gotten here so to me it was like I can go to as many things as I can up until I leave and then after that it's like sorry I can't come and at some point you have to be able to come to terms with that with yourself and really assess the worst case scenario which you guys can see I do that a lot like my worst case scenario for Australia. What was my worst case scenario if I missed a friend's wedding? What's the worst case scenario if I miss an engagement? Like, to me, those things didn't outweigh the need for me to just like really live my own life. And so I was like, I have to do this. So like I said, it's I've only been gone for two months and I've already missed two weddings. One of my good friends just got engaged. I, like I said, I definitely think I'm missing a pregnancy or two, but it's like the name of the game. So lots of sacrifices. I'm not going to be home for Christmas and my family is going to freaking Europe. Oh, they're going to Europe for Christmas and I could meet them. But I was like, I only have one Christmas here and New Year's in Sydney is like one of the top locations to come to. So I was like, I don't want to miss it because there's no guarantee I'm going to be here next year. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to stay here for Christmas. So I'm not going to be home for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for my birthday, like I'm missing almost everything back home. But for me, I was like, it's just one year. And if it ends up being a year, like longer than a year, then okay, then next year I'll come. I don't think everything has to be so extreme when you make big decisions. Like I had a podcast guest on and he, Paul Fishman, who had such a good quote, like we love to create drama around change, which is so true. Like I was creating all this drama in my head, like, oh, I'm going to lose all these friends and people are going to hate me. And like, oh, when I quit my job, no one's going to talk to me. And like, oh my God, I'm not going to like talk to my family anymore. And like, I'm going to lose touch with everyone and become like a floating speck. Like that doesn't happen. I text my family all the time. I'm FaceTiming with my mom like every other week. It is hard though. I'm not going to lie. The time difference is very hard because when people want to talk, I'm sleeping or it's the middle of the night or vice versa. Like I'm ready to talk and they're just waking up or it's like 4 a.m. That is very hard because there's times where I'm like, yay, let's catch up. And it's like, wait, you can't just jump on the phone right then. It's the middle of their work day. And that's the other thing is like everyone back home is most of them are living corporate nine to fives where I don't have that right now. So I'm like, what do you mean? We can talk right now. And they're like, no, it's the middle of the work day. Like I'm at my desk. So that's a very hard thing to adjust to is just like contacting people and getting in touch with people and trying to schedule things like even the podcast. I'm trying to schedule stuff with people from the US and it's like, wait, I'm 14 hours ahead. I'm an entire day ahead. It is very, very hard to try and get people on a podcast interview when we're all trying to figure out our own schedules when someone's a day ahead. The other thing is money. So I had a goal in mind of saving $10,000 when I got to Australia. People told me, you know, you'll be fine with like literally $4,000. I've heard of people coming with $1,000. What I did not want to do was get here and be scrambling and freaking the hell out of like going broke. So I was like, okay, 
$10,000 allows me to travel. I knew I was going to my yoga school and I heard Bali was cheap, so I wasn't even worried about Bali. But I was like, I, I can travel. I'll have money for an apartment. I can still do fun things and, you know, not feel guilty about it and have a cushion. So that was my number. Funny thing was, I ended up hitting that number when I was back in Florida, the $10,000. And then I went on a Euro trip. And most people would be like, why the hell would you go on a Euro trip two months before you're moving to the other side of the world? And you know what? I couldn't tell you. My brain operates so impulsively. If it sounds fun and I can afford to do it and I'm not going to end up in the red, like I'm going to do it. And so I had a friend that lived in Copenhagen. I had two girlfriends that were like ready to go abroad and do the trip with me. And I was like, you know what? Like, let's just do it. And so, yes, we stayed in hostels and... You know, we weren't like blowing money on the fanciest drinks, but it wasn't cheap either. Like we were in Barcelona and Copenhagen. Those Copenhagen is probably one of the most expensive cities in Europe. It's very expensive. I spent way more money than I wanted to there and I put it all on my credit card so that when I got back to America, when I was trying to pay it off, I was like, well, I have to dip into my savings to pay this off. So yeah, like looking back, there's a lot of things I could have done differently. I could have immediately made it a goal to like not get facials, not get my nails done, not go on a freaking Euro trip two months before. But I was like, I don't really regret any of that because I still had time to do what I wanted to do in Australia, which was just not scramble. Like that was just my goal was like, I don't want to get there and feel tight and scrambled. And I didn't feel like that. So when I got here, I had... um I actually had 10,000 Australian dollars, which was nice because our dollar is worth more. And so I was like, okay, well that worked out where like maybe I didn't have the 10,000 uh, US, but I had the Australian dollars, which is like kind of the goal anyway, as long as I had that money. So of course, as things go, spent way more money in Bali than I thought I would. Spent way more money when I got here than I thought I would. You know, again, I think I talked about this in the beginning. I spent so much money on Ubers in LA. I actually think looking back, since I've been to Australia, I, I don't have any regrets about the way I've spent my money in Australia. It's the way I spent it the week before in LA. Like freaking 30, 40, $50, $50 Ubers every day. I'm like, damn, that could have been so many different things in Australia. And it was just all bopping around LA. But I was also interviewing some of the best inter uh, guests that I've had on the podcast. So it's like, okay, if you look at it, the Uber was getting me to those guests to meet in person to have better conversations. So it paid off. So again, it's all how you look at it. Like, yeah, it was really freaking annoying to spend that much money. But if I didn't, if I did not do that, then I wouldn't be able to interview the people that I had. So money wise, that was my goal. Um, and Bali, Bali is so cheap. It's literally, I, I talked about this in all my preview or in my intros to some podcasts, but literally like $6 for an hour massage, $5 for a full-blown meal, like $1 for a taxi into the city. Like it's so cheap. So I don't even know how I spent that much money. I think it was just because, well, A, I had to pay for my yoga school, but then I had to, when I had the days off, I was like going to spas. I was getting my nails done. I got my hair done. I got three tattoos. Like when you have money in your pocket and you're an impulsive spender, it's hard to just be like, okay, I'm only spending $20 today. It's like, oh, well, I could spend 40 and get a full half day massage or spa day. And that's how I thought. And looking back, like there was a moment where I was like, what are you doing? You need to like make a budget where I'm like, wait, this is what you saved for. Like 
you didn't save all this money to come to Bali and sit in your room or Australia and like twiddle your thumbs and eat spaghetti every day and like water and not have fun. Like the whole goal of me saving was so that I had a cushion and could find an apartment safely without having to like immediately find a job and do what I want to do. So it's like, yeah, of course, when I got to Australia, could I have gone to less happy hours or had a few less glasses of wine and saved that money? Sure, but like for what? That's why I came here was to have wine at Bondi Beach, was to actually go out, was to meet new people and do fun things. And so it's like all how you look at money and how you have a relationship with it where I was like, I know I'm going to make money and be fine when I get to Australia. So it's not like this $10,000 was like all the money I had to my name for 365 days. Like I knew that. I knew I eventually would have to get a job and figure something out. So looking back, I actually had a full eight weeks where I didn't work at all. I didn't have any single income. And I'm like, you know what? There's two ways to look at this. That $10,000 could have spread me out probably a few more months where I didn't have to work at all. But I would have been a lot more strict with like eating out and not going out and doing free things, which are definitely like all possible. Or I could look at it as like, Chelsea, you haven't had two months off since you were literally in college almost seven years ago, like in summertime. And even in summer, you were usually doing a part-time job or internship or working or back home, like sitting on the beach. So if you look at it, eight weeks of not working to me is like, unreal and I actually saw someone post if you had a month off for work what would you do and all these people were like travel do this activate this launch this and I was like wait you just had double that time off like I really had to change my perspective because I did start beating myself up a little bit about my money situation like oh you could have saved all that and you could have been four more months with not working and it's like wait Like, look at what you just had. You just had eight weeks off. The last time I had eight weeks off in a row, I was 21, like I said, in college. I'm 28. That's like something I should be so happy about. And that's the biggest learning lesson out of all of this is looking at what you have and practicing gratitude and abundance because, or appreciating your abundance because there have been probably five times now where I'm like, oh, this is cool, but it'll be cool when I do this. Or this was fun, but I think that thing next week will be more fun. And this is the same mentality of like going back to my days in Chicago was like, oh, this is nice, but I'll I'll feel better when I make $100,000. And then when I make $100,000, it'll feel better when I can get this specific thing. And then when I live in that apartment, it'll be fun, but it won't be cool until I have that one specific couch. And you're just always looking for something better. And I caught myself doing that, especially in Bali, where I was like in the most gorgeous villa ever. Like I literally cried the first day when I got there because I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. And after two weeks, I was like, yeah, this is cool. But like, I can't wait to see Changu and that beach club. And like that one hostel looks so nice. Like that's going to be so much cooler. And yeah, this is fun, but I can't wait to try that other thing. Or like this yoga studio is cool, but I heard that one's the best. And like constantly one-upping everything I was doing instead of being like, holy shit, you're in Bali, you're in a villa, you're getting your yoga certification. Like, why don't you appreciate that? And that is something that now I've had to take back to Bondi because I caught myself doing it here too, where I was like, oh, Bondi is cool, but like, I'm sure when I go up the road and look at that one beach, it's probably prettier and 
this cafe is cool and I love it, but I'm, I'll probably find something better. And like, I constantly was like, oh my God, you need to relax. And like, even being in Sydney, I'm like, oh, Sydney's awesome. But like, I'm, I'm so excited to see Melbourne. I'm like, there, there is uh, a time and place to be excited about everything. That's actually what I'm trying to say. Like, I should be excited to wake up every day that I'm in Bondi Beach. It's that whole, there's like a psychological term for it where the shininess and newness wears off where you're like, oh, this is my life now. So that's the biggest lesson. If you could take anything from this podcast is to create abundance out of what you have. So yeah, right now I just moved into a new apartment where I could be like, yeah, it's nice. I'm living in a new apartment, but it will be better once I have my own place. And um, it'll be better once I like find my dream job and it'll be better when the weather's better. Like, no, 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 no. Take a step back. Look at what happened. I am now living right behind the cafe that I have been going to every other day without even realizing when I was viewing the apartment, it was right there. I'm living with someone who's so clean and tidy. So that just makes my living space so much more organized and makes me want to come home. I have my own private room. I don't have to worry about waking anyone up. These are all issues I had just five days ago. And these are things that I'm like, if I don't sit down and write down that I'm grateful for them, this whole experience is going to be like a wash because I'm going to look back and look at it as like, oh, I could have always been doing something better. So I had to change my my perspective around money and like where I'm at and really appreciate what's going on. Because now that I'm here and I'm paying rent weekly, my money is dwindling. Like I'm pretty much out of my savings. Um, I paid for my yoga school, which was like not cheap, thousands of dollars. Like I said, I spent so much money in Bali. And as soon as you start paying rent weekly, the money starts disappearing. So my savings is pretty much gone. And so I had to find a job. But that was the goal. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not looking at that as a failure. I'm like, that was your plan. Like, you knew you wanted to travel around a bit and then find a job. I remember telling people, they were like, well, what's your plan? I was like, I'm probably going to travel for two to three months and find a job. And that's exactly what I've done. I traveled for two months And then I found a job. So it's like, why am I looking at it like, oh, I could have been saving more or could have traveled more. It's like, you did exactly what you wanted to do and more. Like the fact that I was even in Bali and got that certification and got tattoos, like that wasn't even the plan. Like just little things that you have to look at differently or else you will be disappointed. So that's my like learning lesson for the week, for the year, for this podcast is like, creating abundance out of what you have because if I look at what I have now and I'm just if I look at it like oh I just have two suitcases and a bed and yeah it's going to be better once I have this this and this then I'm never going to be happy here so now my goal is to really focus on the podcast exactly what I came here to do realign with my creativity get inspired push myself to meet new people because it's it's not hard to meet people but it's also hard to like find genuine friends that you're like okay i just want to like chill out and watch tv and drink wine with that's the hard part like it's not hard to find someone to go grab coffee or a drink with it's like sticking around to do like other stuff and so that's the part right now that i'm focusing on is like building a friend group really trying to go out and meet people develop a routine that is the hardest part about not having a nine to five is being disciplined because before I worked nine to five. So it's like, you don't have an option. You go to the office nine to five. And if you don't show up, you're fired. So that forced me to also wake up earlier to get my workout done and make plans after work. Like I had a very regimented schedule back home where here I have a part-time job 
and I work random hours and random days. Like I had Monday and Tuesday off and then I work like five to close, 9.30 to two, five to seven, like all these random hours that I haven't done since I was literally in high school. So when I have like a whole Monday and Tuesday off, I'm like, what do I do? Like, (laughs) what do I do with this time? Do I sleep in? Do I wake up early? Do I work on the podcast for five hours? Do I sleep for 10 hours and catch up on a series for five? Like, there are so many things I could do, and that's the biggest part of adjusting here is actually creating a schedule and routine and sticking to it. So I've been having some major sleeping problems, and I think it's just coming from all of this like settling that I've been doing. Like again, I just moved. I'm I just got that job. I'm trying to really like settle, and so now my next focus is like creating a routine, like not sleeping until eleven, and then the next day nine a.m., then twelve. Like I want to wake up. I want to have a schedule and I really need to block time for the podcast and my creative endeavors because that's what I came here to do. And every night I write down all my creative ideas. It's now just executing them. So this is a very long story, but I wanted to do this solo podcast so you could have more context around like, what was the motivation for coming here? Why did I quit a high paying job that I really liked that pretty much had all the benefits that I could ask for or want? Why did I leave my family and friends in Florida? Why am I missing some of my friends' most important days of their lives? Why did I choose to live with six people off the bat? How much money did I save? Like, I wanted to provide all that to you because I think without that story, it does look like, oh, life's cheery and bright. I moved abroad, living my best life. Like, you would be, actually, you wouldn't be surprised. I get a message almost every day like, oh, you're living your best life. Oh, I'm so jealous. I want your life. This is so amazing. I can't believe I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, you can do it too. There is just a lot of stuff that is going to suck and that you don't want to do. And you'll miss a lot of things as well. Like, granted, not everyone can do it. Of course, if you are dealing with someone that has a, a serious illness that you want to be by their side and not leave them or something personal is happening in your life and you can't just pick up and go or you're trying to get a promotion at your job and you don't want to ruin that opportunity like i understand that i'm not being naive like there are things that hold people back but you can also make a lot of a lot of excuses for not going either and so i wanted to tell you the whole story of like living with a couple and cats and driving a minivan and saving and like probably blowing my money too quickly and living with six people and living on people's air mattresses and couches for weeks at a time. Like that wasn't glamorous. Like I don't think that was my best life was literally sleeping on someone's couch for six days in a row, but that's what I had to do if I wanted to live abroad and be where I was. Like I needed a place to sleep while I figured out all my other uh, issues. And so I think you truly can do what you want to do You just have to be ready to deal with the sacrifices and also the criticism and judgment. Um, I think it's also how you receive those things. For example, when I first announced that I was moving to Australia, like to people and friends, their first reaction was like, oh my God, that's amazing. So what are you doing out there? Like you're moving with your company, right? It was always a thought that I'm moving with my company or I'm trying to find a husband or I'm coming to meet a guy, which I think those last two are pretty offensive because first of all if I wanted to find a husband I I could have found a husband a while ago I could have married half the guys I dated but I didn't want to date them so that's why you broke up like I don't really understand that whole concept of like finding a husband I could have settled down with half the people I was dating 
but I would have been doing that, just settling. And that doesn't excite me. Like I want someone to blow me away where I want to actually settle down. Now, the other part of moving with my company, that's just natural. Like I wasn't blaming anyone. I'm like, yeah, that's a very American thing to think. Why would you leave your like perfectly cushy, high paying job that you've never talked negatively about? I'm assuming you're just moving with your company. So that one, I was like, yeah, I get why people are asking. Like, it makes sense. Oh, your company is transferring you over there or you ask them to move over there. So to me, I was like, yeah, I can see why people would ask that. Um, but no, I wasn't moving my company. I'm not trying to find a husband. I'm not trying to meet a new man. Like if that happens, great. If not, the goal of coming over here was not to find a husband. I did an entire podcast about this. It's called being single and like relationships or something where marriage has never been a goal of mine. And if anything, it scares me more than it excites me. And so finding a husband is, that's more terrifying to me than like starting a podcast. So if you are thinking of doing something like this, it's a lot of sacrifice. You'll deal with a lot of criticism and judgment. You know, there's always people going to weigh in like, oh, did you know Australia like does this and this with their taxes? And you know this about their immigration? Did you know that they have like the craziest wildlife? And do you know that the statistics here, blah, blah, blah. Like you're going to hear a lot of outside opinions. People are going to criticize you or judge you or make you feel guilty about coming. Like, oh, wow, you're missing you're missing that wedding? Oh, oh my God, I had no idea. Or, hmm, that's interesting. You're going with no job. Like, it's a very weird concept for an American to leave their perfectly fine job and not have a plan, but it's okay. Like, I am telling you, I am here. I am fine. I am safe. I am healthy. I am happy. And if anything, it's given me a reality check. Like, I thought I was like some special snowflake quitting my job and moving abroad literally everyone in Bondi Beach has done that. (laughs) Like every single person is an expat. Everyone I met at my yoga training did that. Everyone from the like UK that lives here has done that. Like I was like, oh, okay. So seems like we're all on the same page. Like I thought I was like this brave person just moving abroad and everyone's like, yeah, that's what we all did. Like literally thousands of us in Bondi Beach have done the exact same thing. So It brought me back down to earth and I'm glad I came here because it made me like check myself too. Like everyone here has done the same thing. They've all left family behind. They've all left friends. They had to find new jobs. They had to find new friend groups and support systems. And it's just a lot of learning that it's like forcing me out of my comfort zone. But like I said in the beginning of the podcast, being uncomfortable is usually what sparks change and what what makes me feel like I'm really unlocking my full potential is by like discovering these uncomfortabilities within myself. I don't even know if that's a word, but we're going with it. So yeah, the the focus of my next few months here is definitely like pushing myself to make more friends, pushing myself to commit to the podcast and be more disciplined because if this is truly the life I want of like traveling and being a digital nomad and all this stuff, I need to come up with better systems and things to actually like keep me on track. Because right now it feels like I'm still on like summer break. That's what it feels like when you move and you don't have a job. It feels like you're on summer break. Like I keep feeling like, oh, have to go back to work tomorrow or time's almost up. Got to go back to the real world. And it's like, no, this is your life now. Like this is what you're doing. And if you want to keep doing this, which I do, like I would love to live and Europe and Asia and New Zealand, like I want to do this. So I need to figure out systems in, that I can put in place to make myself more efficient. So with that, if you guys have any advice, podcasts, specific podcasts, like guests, episodes, books, 
things to just help with like being a freelancer or a digital nomad, that would be so helpful. I've been reading a lot of content about that right now, especially from specific episodes, like people, like how much they saved, how did they get clients? What have they done for money? Like I've become so creative with how I'm going to make money here. If anything, the part-time job is supporting my rent, but I have so many ideas for other streams of income that now it's up to me to use my free time to do that. It's just being efficient. I feel like I have all these ideas and then I don't know what to do with them and I kind of just like pick and poke and and walk around them and it's like I never actually get them done. So I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about efficiency. So again, if you have recommendations, let me know. And of course, if you guys have questions, please reach out. Like I'm a pretty open book when it comes to this stuff. I just told you guys like how much I saved, what I was doing back home, how people let me live with them for free, how I was living on couches. Like I am happy to answer anyone's questions. You can either DM me at Chelsea Rife. I'll link that in the show notes. Or you can email me hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com. And I'm going to have a website soon where I'll start blogging a little bit. Again, I'm not obsessed with blogging because I I like to reread it a million times and I end up editing it and completely changing the story. So podcasting, it's like I'm forced to just say what's on my mind and get it out there. So this is a pretty stream of consciousness episode. Uh, of course, I didn't like script this all out. I definitely had bullets, but I think I wanted to just tell the story and get it off my chest because it's been weighing on me for so long is like, giving you guys that behind the scenes look. So if you want more solo episodes like this, like stream of consciousness, just saying what's on my mind, DM me and let me know what you want to hear more of, whether that's traveling or adjusting or whether that's like trying to discipline yourself or health or wellness or anything, like whatever you want to know about, let me know because I would love to do more of these. I just want to know what you guys want to hear about. So you noticed there wasn't a podcast last week. Um, That's because I was moving and getting a new job and adjusting. And I'm going to really make a point to not let that happen again. Like I said earlier in this episode, consistency and really committing to this podcast was a goal and committing to you guys as listeners and making sure you're getting valuable content is also the major focus of the rest of the year in 2020 and generally for the podcast moving forward. So if you found value out of this and value out of any of the episodes of the past few months, please leave a review. That really helps me out. Five stars. If not, don't leave one. I'm just kidding. You can definitely leave a review. You can also write a review. Those are really helpful. And if you think about it, when you start listening to new podcasts or anything, if you're looking up a place to stay or a new restaurant or a new hair salon or anything, you usually look at the reviews. So if you find value, let me know in the reviews and subscribe and stay tuned every Thursday because that's when new episodes drop. Thank you guys for listening. I will see you next week.